Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzler. I couldn't be more excited to have tonight's guest, photographer Elliot Landy, on the show for the entire hour tonight. Elliot is one of the first music photographers to be recognized as an artist. His images of Bob Dylan and the band, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Van Morrison, no relation, Richie Havens, and many others documented the music scene in the last 1960s that culminated with he being the official photographer for the 1969 Woodstock Music Festival. His photographs have, have appeared on the covers of such magazines as Life, The Saturday Evening Post, and Rolling Stone, among others. He is the author of six books, including Woodstock Vision, The Spirit of the Generation. His new book, The Band Photographs 1968-1969, was recently published on the Backbeat Books imprint and is available at finer bookstores everywhere. With no further ado, I would like to welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour from his home in Woodstock, New York, the Matthew Brady of rock and roll, Mr. Elliot Landy. That's so nice. <laughs> Matthew Brady of rock and roll. That's, that's well, cool. <laughs> well, you know, you know, sometimes I feel like that. In those days, in order to, to do photography, you had to schlep a lot of stuff around on horseback and in wagons and set up huge tripods and big cameras and have all kinds of liquid chemistry with you and so on. And I feel like my life and career has been pretty much like that, even though I, I didn't have, even though the physical um, aspect, the, the physical particulars were changed, the, the actual um, struggling and pushing uphill all the time remain the same. <laughs> you know, it's funny because I, and the other thing I think you would have in common with the Matthew Brady, the great Civil War photographer, uh, you know, photography, uh, you know, photoing all the stuff you did in the, in, in the rock and roll world in the, in the 60s and 70s was occasionally you probably had to duck a, a few incoming bullets as well. I had a few incoming bullets, you're saying? Yeah. I don't, well, you know, I, that's an interesting thought. My first response is to say no, but then I think about it, and I think that's the reason I stopped, I left the music business, because bullets started to come in. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I said, I don't want to be in front of bullets. I, I want, um, it was always the, the, um, the softness of life that appealed to me. It doesn't mean it wasn't hard. It doesn't mean I didn't struggle. It just means that I felt that what I was struggling against was worth it. So when you're fighting against the, the, the a, a business, let's say, or people who are running, because it's not the business you're fighting, it's really people. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the big flaws in today's thinking is that we don't blame individuals for what corporations do. We, it's a corporation. It's not. It's the individual, it's the executive who decides to be part of that. Um, and who decides to act like that. And this, the idea of uh, the corporate shield is, is no responsibility. And that's one of the problems with society and culture today is that nobody wants to take personal, not nobody, that's not fair, that many people don't take personal responsibility for what business does. Well, you had a very interesting uh, kind of a doorway in a Bob Dylan that did that the door seemed shut at the time. But what you were uh, photographing the tribute to Woody Guthrie at the Carnegie Hall uh, with Dylan and the band and Albert Grossman, uh, Dylan's manager for at the time and, and for the next several years, wanted to uh, uh, take your your camera and your film, but you worked around it. So let's talk about that and, and move on. Okay, uh, you want me to tell the funny story? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It's funny now. Um, I was just starting my career as a photographer. I had established my skill set, and um, I wanted to do something to try and stop the Vietnam War. And so I was photographing peace demonstrations, uh, working with an underground newspaper, and um, not getting paid anything at all, just contributing it. And... Um, I saw that Bob Dylan was going to be playing at the Woody Guthrie Memorial Concert, and it was the first time he was going to appear in public for over a year. And I called uh, 
Bob Dylan's manager's office, which was Albert Grossman, uh, and got a, uh, a pass and got two free tickets. And the tickets were, of course, impossible to get. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I got two free tickets, and I identified myself as a photographer and so on. Um, and then when I got to Carnegie Hall, I brought a girlfriend with me, and I got to Carnegie Hall, and the guard says, no, you can't, he sees my camera bags, and he says, you can't take pictures in here. And I said, well, I'm an official photographer. I, I am a you know, photographer for an official newspaper here. I got a police press pass and a, a letter from, uh, from Bob Dylan's manager and blah, blah, blah. And the guard says, I don't care what, you can't come in here with cameras. So uh, I, we, we went back outside, and I checked half my cameras, and I gave, I gave one camera and one lens to my girlfriend to put in her purse, and we walked back inside and sat through most of the concert until Dylan came on. And then I took out the camera, and I started taking pictures, trying to be as discreet as possible, waiting for the loud parts of the music so I wouldn't disturb anybody <laughs> as well as wouldn't be noticed. Right. Um, and I see off to the side, so, so we got like eight rows center seats really some of the best seats in the house and um uh i see off to the 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 far the far side of the theater by the exit door um this woman is waving to me with two hands telling me to stop photographing and i make believe i don't see her and then she gets a guard and he starts doing the same thing and i make believe i don't see him and i keep taking the pictures and then at some point the guard starts to walk around the front of the orchestra to come get me so i didn't want to make a scene of course and i i i, I then looked over at him like i'd just seen him for the first time i said oh okay okay <laughs> But I, I tried to keep sitting there, and he said, and he kept insisting that I come out. So I knew they were going to try and take the film from me. So, so I, I took, I took the roll out of the camera and I gave it to my girlfriend, and I said, "Don't give this up at all." And I put another roll in the film, in the camera rather. And then I went out the side door and uh, where the guard was, was telling me to go, and I'm met by probably 15 people out there. And uh, in the middle of this is, is uh, this man, Albert Grossman. I didn't know who he was at that point, but I quickly found out when I said, well, Dylan's manager gave me permission, and he said, I'm his manager. So and he was a big guy, wasn't he? He was imposing, you know. Yeah. I don't know how big he was, really. I guess he's probably got the same height as me, maybe a little taller. Or I, I don't really know. But his manner was very imposing. Big stentorian voice and a man who took control of situations. Uh, it was that type of personality. Mm-hmm. I guess it's a double alpha or something like that. Right. <laughs> um, and... Uh, um, he said to me, you know, you're not allowed to take pictures. I said, well, you know, I had permissions and so on. And then um, he said to me, give me that film. He says, you got to give up the film, you know. And I said, no, I'm not going to give up the film. And and uh, the woman who had originally pointed me out was in the back of the crowd uh, surrounding me. And uh, she's saying, um, and, and I hear her saying, um, he switched the film or something like that, or his girlfriend has the film. She, like, she saw me make the switch, right? Um, but it's kind of noisy, and there's music playing, sure. very loud, you know, some of the greatest music in the world, right? And we're dealing with this nonsense. And the place must have been packed. What? Oh, it was completely sold out. Yeah. It was sold out immediately. Even without the Internet, it got sold out. So every time that she starts to say... You know, she's got the film, and my girlfriend, I got louder, and I said, you can't have this film, just so he wouldn't hear her talking and so on. And at some point, I, I hold the camera, like, up to him and say, you can't have this film, because I know he's going to grab the camera, which he does, and he opens up the back and rips the blank film out of it and says, all right, now get out of here, and, and so on. Um, but, but... And and so he didn't like me. Uh, so um, and I had just begun making the rounds of doing music photography, um, and uh, I got an assignment to photograph Janis Joplin, who we also managed, and I that brought me up to his office again to photograph her. And Albert um, asked John Simon to, to like get me out of here. And he says, "Get that guy out of here. I can't stand him." <laughs> he didn't say that to my face, but John years later told me that's what he said. Um, and, and but then, like um, to maybe a month or two months later or something like that, I'm photographing Janice. I guess it was probably less than a month. Uh, I'm photographing Janice at the um, oh at uh, Jimi Hendrix Electric Ladyland Studio on A Street, right? 
Yeah, but it was called uh, the uh, whoa, I'm blanking on the name of the club. Yeah, it was wow. a cl- when I was generation. Reading- that, yeah, it, it was generation. Yeah, yeah, when I was reading your book, uh, we've got Elliot Landy on the line. He's got a great new photo book out called "The Band Photographs 1968-1969," and I was reading about that. I had been to Electric Ladyland years back somehow on a bit of a tour or somebody was playing there, but it was a club before it became a recording studio. I yeah, did not know yeah. that until I read your book. It was Club Generation, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so Albert comes to me and taps me on the shoulder while I'm photographing, and it's hugely noisy in there. It's a low-ceiling kind of club. And and he, he kind of waves me back to the back of the to, to, to the back of the crowd, the, the back of the audience, and he brings me into a, a broom closet. <laughs> and I, I have no idea what's going on. You know? <laughs> I, I wasn't afraid of being physically attacked. He didn't give off that vibe. Right. Know? But I didn't know what was happening. And he says to me, are you free next weekend? <laughs> and I say, well, I say, yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't know. I don't remember what I said exactly, but I wasn't. And he said, well, we have this new band that we want photographs of. And I said, oh, what's their name? And he said, I don't know. They they, they may not have a name. They may not take a name. Uh, they're the Crackers, and there was no name. You know, it was very, very uh, indefinite uh, answers. But what I want to say about this is that, and the reason that he reached out to me was that he had seen my photographs of Janice, and he, he really liked them, I guess. And um, he let go of the negativity that he had towards me. And it was really a, a, a good amount of negativity because nobody stands up to him. Nobody, you know, goes against Albert, that kind of thing. Elliot, we're going to pick this up uh, in the next segment of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We've got great uh, rock and roll photographer Elliot Landy on the line. We're going to be speaking with him for the entire show in his time in Woodstock with the band Dylan and more after these messages. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. Native Roots Radio presents I'm Awake would like to say Peeny Gee for all your support these last three years. We discuss national and local Native news and events. Weekly correspondents bring us updates and information from all over Turtle Island. Native Roots Radio I'm Awake is supported by Robbins Kaplan LLP, dedicated to redefining high-stakes litigation representation in Indian Country. Saturdays live 1 to 3, free Leonard Peltier. Tom Hartman here telling you that solar energy isn't just for environmentalists. Switching to all-energy solar is actually perfect for reducing your carbon footprint while also saving money on your monthly electric bill. The fact that solar panels cause no earth-harming emissions while it's producing energy is a bonus. Who in the world could object to that? But they can also help you save money month after month for decades. And they do it with a clean footprint. So go green and start saving money today by visiting allenergysolar.com. Hey, it's Brett from FYI Politics for Zero Res. They know nothing is more important than your health during these stressful times. For years, Zero Res has committed to providing safe cleaning solutions for you. It's why their cleaning process has achieved the highest ratings in independent laboratory tests. They understand cleaning is part of preventing and will always follow CDC guidelines. Right now, you can get three-room Zero Res cleans starting only $129, plus an additional 10% off when you clean both your carpets and your air ducts. But you have to mention AM950 when you call 952-ZERO-RES or ZeroResMinnesota.com. Save an extra 7.5% during Warner Stellion's free tax rebate event. Choose from the best brands at our guaranteed unbeatable price. Then, save 7.5% more with our exclusive tax rebates. You'll save hundreds on laundry pairs, dishwashers, refrigerators, and kitchen suites. And trusted fast free delivery in Holloway are still free. Plus, qualified buyers can choose 18 months interest-free financing. Guaranteed unbeatable appliance savings with exclusive tax rebates from Warner Stellion. If you're someone that counts on AM950 to bring you the latest in progressive politics, news, and talk, remember, we can't do it alone. Support our many great advertisers and let them know you heard about their business on AM950. If you don't know who to talk to, simply write AM950 on your receipt. 
AM 950 is supported by small local businesses, so you're not only helping us and those businesses, but our local economy as well. For a complete list of our sponsors, log on to am950radio.com. You are back with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. On the line, rock and roll photographer Elliot Landy, who is just uh, telling us a little bit of his first meetings with legendary rock and roll manager Albert Grossman. So keep, uh, uh, continue that thread So with Albert Grossman. Yes, so I, I, I always honor him in my mind as being able to let go of the negativity that he had towards me, and that's such an important trait in, in, in life, to be able to let go. Anytime you feel yourself being negative or disliking something, it's just, I don't need that as part of my thought mm-hmm. pattern. And certainly because he did that, he's just very gracious to do that. And of course, I'm grateful to him, but so are, I imagine, the band, and so is Dylan for the good work that I did for them and with them and so on. Um, and it was really like it deserved to be let go of right. and, and so on. And he was able to do that. And I was really, and I really understood what a powerful man is. It's a man who can really go in the direction that things need to go in to have a positive outcome rather than holding on to patterns and holding on to um, certain um, um, stone stone-based ways of thinking and being. Well, there is no doubt uh, that at that time, Bob Dylan would have never in the you know mid to late 60s uh, achieved his worldwide acclaim if it wasn't for the bulldog that Albert Grossman was um, and uh, in representing and standing up for his artist. Yeah, I think he was responsible for changing the nature of the record business because he took control of the A&R. He took control of which songs are going to be played, how they're going to be recorded, who's going to record it, and so on, for Dylan. And I believe that he put the artist in control. And I'm not a historian in this, but I, I believe that he was the first one to ever do this. And and this really changed how, how the music, music business is artist-controlled and artist-driven, and so on, unlike the movie business, which is not, which is controlled by people who finance things. They have the ultimate say. But in this case, in the music business, the artist seems to have the ultimate Now, say. where were you? Were you living in New York City at the time when Albert Grossman invited you up to photograph uh, the group of uh, men that became the band? Yes. So he said to me, so... Um uh, uh, go up and see the guys in the, the, the band in, in, in the band, you know, not the band, in the band. And they were recording in uh, a recording studio in Manhattan in New York City. And I was living in Manhattan at the time. And I went up and I met Robbie in the waiting room of, of the mix, of the recording studio, whatever it was. And then um, he looked through the pictures and he said, oh, you know, these are really not what we're looking for, but I see that that, that they're very good because I think I brought up performance pictures mm-hmm. for him uh, like that and um, so he brought me into the uh, to the mixing room and I believe that it was chest fever that I was listening huh. to I walked in this wall of sound and the introduction to chest fever um, was on the, the amplified studio uh, speakers and so on the, the best the best sound you well and that magnum opus uh, uh, organ intro yeah. by Garth Hudson I mean it's legendary yeah and, and so that kind of blew me back out of the room right. I, 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 I was really moved by it of course <sighs> you know and then um, basically I flew up to Toronto and what they wanted to do was honor their parents in the 60s the, the the essence of the 60s was change 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 let's do things differently let's stop all the let's stop the wars that are happening now and have happened in the past and let's stop bias and let's stop bigotry and let's make everybody equal and the same and and it was the beginning of the environmental movement and so on and let's make let's do things right in other words and in order to do things right you have to discard what's wrong you have to discard the past and there was a lot of, of, of uh, 
um, thinking in the, in the 60s about against your parents, right. you know. Uh, I don't want to do the things the way my parents did because they, they messed everything up and so on. And so even to the point where people are cursing out their parents and rejecting them totally and, and disappearing and never contacting them again and stuff like that. And the guys in the band said, this is ridiculous. He said, we owe who we are today to the kind of parents we had. They 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 cared for us, they nurtured us, they brought us up, they they paid for our educations or whatever they did, you know. They clothed us and they loved us and so on. So we want to honor them. So they were really saying, hey, to the culture, let's not go too far with this, with this I hate my father right. stuff. I've got, that was also psychology as well. You know, you have to escape the bad stuff your parents did mm -hmm. to you. And they're saying, you know, there's a lot of good things here also. Let's focus on the good stuff. So they were. They wanted to include a photograph of their of their friend of their family of their parents and their relatives in the album to say thank you for for bringing us to this point in our lives. And so that's why I, I was in Toronto to do uh, all of them except for Levon were Canadian. So that's where their relatives were. And Levon's parents were supposed to fly up, but they weren't able to. So in the picture, you'll see he's holding a picture frame. Oh, showing his parents and that there. was on the back of uh, their first record, uh, music from yep, music, music from Big Pink. Music from and, Big uh, Pink. But it was on the right, inside. It was inside it was right. a, originally, it was a gay right. pole. Yes. And now, was that at uh, yeah. was that at Rick Danko's uh, uncle's farm? Or? Yeah, it, it, yes, it was. Well, yes. you know, when you look back at that time, and uh, you know, geez, I was um, thirteen in nineteen sixty eight. But uh, with along with that, you know, the, the, that whole rock and roll generation creating the new world, it was a wash in psychedelia, which really. With the drugs and the whole mind expansion thing, in a way, it, it almost excluded the history of the family at the time. And I think that's what was interesting about starting to see some of your original pictures of the band was like, you know, if you looked at creamed Israeli gears, I mean, it's all psychedelia and bell bottoms and beads and even Hendrix. And here you have this band. Uh, four, you know, five guys, four from Canada that really started what's now known as Americana music. Um, God bless the Canadians embracing, embracing their family. And you would not for a million years thought you'd see a modern rock and roll band doing that. So that was beautiful stuff, Elliot. So you, while you were, uh, doing the, the photographs for, uh, that were included on music from Big Pink and other rock and roll stuff, were you doing any of the other, um, uh, stuff outside rock and roll at the time? Oh, yeah. I, I uh, was basically working with underground newspapers and trying to help stop the Vietnam War by showing the peace demonstrations. There were large peace demonstrations happening in New York City that got almost no coverage whatsoever, maybe a third of a column on page 8 of the New York Times when there were thousands and thousands of people in the streets and so on. So I wanted to photograph these and show them to people and try and uh, make people aware that the war was no good and there was no reason to be fighting it. We were hurting uh, both uh, uh, our own soldiers as well as the people we were attacking overseas um, and that we were just doing the wrong thing. So I was active in that. And then um, I discovered the rock and roll music by chance, really. I was walking along the street one one night after we put uh, the newspaper you know what, Elliot, we gotta, let's save that for, for for the next segment but uh but i know okay. i i was looking sure. at your website today and you've got a lot of the photos from the civil rights uh struggle ellen ginsburg protests and whatnot and that is that at landyvisions.com uh, uh landy vision singular yeah. Dot com. Like television, but Landy. Okay, LandyVision.com. Elliot Landy for the yeah. whole show tonight in the Wall of Power Radio. More with Mr. Landy after these messages. Rudy Luther Toyota is caught up in the coronavirus just like the rest of us, but they also understand many people still need their vehicle running smoothly. Rudy Luther Toyota has their service department open for business, but don't worry. They have the social distancing requirement down. They're working with a reduced staff who are constantly sanitizing and cleaning all touch points as they go. Feel free to use the outside vehicle drop-off, and you can pay remotely to limit exposure. And, of course, you get Rudy Luther's top-notch guaranteed service. We'll get through this together. For social distancing with a smile, it's Rudy Luther Toyota on 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. 
In the Army National Guard, family means everything. They really appreciate what she's done as a sister as well as a soldier and, you know, supporting their country. Our parents, they were really supportive that all five of us would join. Family members that are soldiers in the Army National Guard inspire and influence, setting a path for others. It's validating knowing that, you know, I kind of did my part to make sure this is what they actually wanted and that they feel the same way I do. I'm really proud that we get to help shape the future. And I know that my sisters are going to be amazing soldiers. Serving part-time in the Army National Guard instills pride that you and your family will share in. A lot of pride. And they're just out there doing something every day and then serving their country as well. I got my education because of the Guard. I got to travel a little bit and experience a whole different culture. Visit NationalGuard.com to learn more about part-time service. Sponsored by the Minnesota Army National Guard. Aired by the Minnesota Broadcasters Association and this station. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Hi, I'm Peter Solak. And I'm Adam Ostrowski. We are here at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces to talk about the joy of live fire cooking. Cooking over a live fire is the oldest and most basic form of cooking. What's new is in the way a fire is handled and its heat is managed. It's easier to experience and enjoy the smell and taste of food cooked over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces sells and installs live fire grills, fire pits, and ovens. Let us help you experience the smell, the taste, the fun of cooking with fire. Pizza was first made and is still best made in an open fire oven. The radiant and conductive heat of a live fire is unmatched for wood roasting and baking artisan breads too. Come see the many ways you can cook over a live fire. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces has over 35 working wood and gas units on display at the corner of East Franklin and Riverside Avenue in Minneapolis. More information at woodlandstoves.com. Find the fire that works for you. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, out of the ordinary products and services since 1977. With your AM 950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Tonight, a chance of rain or snow before 11 p.m. with lows around 32 degrees. Sunday, a chance of rain around noon with a high of 46 and a low of 34. Monday, partly sunny with a high of 49 and a low of 36. With the state closing bars and restaurants for dining in, it's especially important that you support our Eat Local Minnesota restaurants. They feature high-quality local foods, and lots of them have delicious menu options for takeout service. And support Twin Cities restaurants like Nightingale, located at 26th and Delindale in Minneapolis. Find the takeout menu at nightingalempls.com. You're back with Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. On the line for the entire show, the amazing photographer, Elliot Landy. Elliot, uh, at the end of the last set, you were telling us about how you got into the rock and roll uh, photography world. And you were walking along the street. Take it from there. Yeah. Um, I'd been working with underground newspapers, taking uh, anti-war, uh, taking pictures of anti-war demonstrations, and and one night we we put the newspaper to bed, and I was walking along Second Avenue, and I see this theater marquee that says "Country Joe and the Fish Light Show," and I was with uh, two other guys from the paper, and I said, "What's happening? What is that?" You know, no idea what that was. So uh, I went over to the box office and got inside because I had a, pol- a police press pass. And I walk in and I see this incredible wall of, of light and hear this incredible sound from these big speakers. And it was, like, amazing to experience this. And this was, what Th- it was- Fillmore East, right? It's what? No, oh. this was the Anderson Theater. Oh, okay. It was about two weeks before the Fillmore East opened. Okay. Because the Fillmore East was on 2nd Avenue, too, I Yeah, believe. that's yeah. right. The Fillmore East is right across the street from this, but it hadn't opened yet. So okay. these concerts, these rock and roll concerts, I don't know what was what happened before I saw the Country Joe concert, but I saw Country Joe, and then a week or two later, Big Brother and the Holding Company. I was just completely taken by, by this experience of light shows and music, and, and at the concerts, the musicians were as much against the war, more more anti-war than the audience was. And the whole thing was really a countercultural event. And I felt that by taking pictures of these concerts, which, like, after two or three weeks, the Fillmore East opened, and that's where I photographed Hendrix and the Doors and, and um, 
Janis Joplin some more and so on. Um, by taking pictures uh, at these concerts, I felt like I was inviting people to become part of this new culture, of this new idea of living freely rather than living within the constraints of what what we were supposed to be, suits and ties and, and uncomfortable shoes, basically, and doing things that were not necessarily conscious things. You were um, trying to make money for money's own sake without being aware of what you were doing that for, which is, of course, as we all know, a, a super problem today. Um, and all the bad energy from that is spreading around the world, in my opinion. I think it comes from the way people think about things. Hmm. Um, We've got Elliot Landy on the line. He's got a great book out called The Band, Photographs 1968 and 69 on the Backbeat Books imprint. So you ended up, we're kind of around the same, we're talking, you know, 68 and 69. How did you get the, the gig as the official photographer of the uh, Woodstock Festival, which you uh, put a book out called Woodstock Vision, The Spirit of a Generation, around that. Tell us about how that uh, hooked up and tell us what yeah. the hell was Woodstock like? <laughs> well, um, the book Woodstock Vision, The Spirit of a Generation, um, I first wrote in 1994. And it was published then, and then I did an interactive CD-ROM of it with Panasonic Interactive Media in 1997 that released the book and, and the CD. And then I redid it in 19, uh, 1999. Was it 99? Oh, my goodness. I should know this. Yeah. Time's flying. That's right. Yes. Right. <laughs> it was 30, yes. It, it was the 40th anniversary. 69. Two, 2009. Oh, my okay. goodness. I, I redid it in 2009 uh, for the 40th anniversary, um, and I doubled the size of it. And, uh, and But the name of it is Woodstock Vision, the Spirit of a Generation. And a lot of people who are not interested in the Woodstock Festival pass the book by because they think it's about the Woodstock Festival. But the Woodstock Festival is only half of it. The rest of it is really all the stories I'm telling now about uh, about the underground movement and my photographs of Dylan and the band. And it's a really good book about, the, about being part of that movement in the 60s to try and make the world a better place. Um, and rock and roll music was one way of doing that because it caused people to forget who they were. It was really and what meditation does to you. When you meditate, you forget what's tying you to real-world experience, and you can go someplace else and be someplace else. And rock and roll music in those days with the concert experience and smoking grass at the concerts and so on was that kind of, of, of spiritual experience, really. It wasn't about freaking out at a concert. It was really about going through a life-changing kind of uh, kind of experience. So unlike Bill Clinton, you guys were actually inhaling. Totally, and that was the point of it. Elliot, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what was... Now, uh, you, you asked me the way I got to Woodstock. So, yeah. so, uh, so doing that work led to uh, photographing the band and then photographing Dylan and, my wor- and then Van Morrison for the Moondance album cover. And my work got pretty well known and so on. So then when, when Mike Lang, um, who, who produced the, the Woodstock Festival, uh, needed a photographer, he was also living in Woodstock. And we knew each other casually just through friends. Uh, and we, we would hang out and talk sometimes. And he, he came up to my house on his motorcycle one day and said to me, I'm, I'm producing a concert in August, and uh, uh, do, you, do you want to photograph it? And I said, well, who's going to be there? And he named off some of the famous bands that were going to be there. And I said, sure, absolutely. And he says, okay, that's great, and took off. <laughs> and as I, as I write in my book, it wasn't even a handshake. Right. You know? <laughs> wow. The good old days. And so that's how I got to be the photographer of you know, and then there was another photographer, Henry Diltz, also, sure. who, who who they brought on board as well. Didn't Henry so, do that classic, uh, that first Crosby, Stills and Nash cover? Uh, Where they're sitting I, on the couch. I don't, yes, yes, he did. Right, yes. And some of the, he's done a lot of things. Right? Yeah, yeah, a lot of the early Eagle yeah. stuff. Hey, so yeah. when did you move to Woodstock? I, I've got Elliot Landy on the line, great uh, photographer. He's got a new book out called The Band Photographs, 1968 to 1969. Yeah, when did you move to uh, Woodstock, Elliot? Well, when, while I was photographing the band, um, first we went to Toronto, and then after that, 
um, I went up to what they called the Big Pink, Big Pink uh, which was a house in West Saugerties, New York. And, and uh, we got on really well. And they said to me, um, come on up anytime you want. <laughs> and so, so we did the first shoot, and there were really gorgeous photographs in it. But they said, ah, it's not really what we want. You know, it's not the right thing. One of the pictures was a photograph of the five of them sitting on a bench taken from behind. Right. And you see a pond in front of them. And that was on the cover of Rolling Stone. Um, and that was just what they were talking about. Because they explained that they didn't want to be uh, um, a band with a fancy name like Jefferson Airplane, right. some kind of weird psychedelic name. Quicksilver Messenger wanted... Service. Right, yeah. right. Yes, that's right, yeah. And on and on with those great names. They're all beautiful names. Yeah. <laughs> but, but they didn't want that. They also felt they were such a... They played such a diverse type of music that they wanted to be free to do whatever kind of music they wanted to do. And they felt if they had a name or if they were known too much, they'd be locked into doing a certain kind of music rather than free to just play music, whatever that came to them. Um, so this picture of them from the back was really perfect to what they were talking about. But they said, but then in the end, they, they felt it was a little too anonymous, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is understandable, of course. Right. Um, so, so uh, then, so they asked me to come up a second time, and I went up a second time. We took some more pictures, and also the second time uh, after that, they said really good pictures, but not really what we want. So we scheduled the third shoot, and meanwhile, I was going back and forth. In other words, I lived in the city, and my dark room was in the city. So I would go down, I'd develop the film, and make proof prints, and, and bring up proof prints to show them, and then we talk about it, and so on. So I was spending a lot of time there, and really got to like Woodstock. And when I was looking for a larger place in New York City, I realized that I had more friends in Woodstock, felt more comfortable there, liked being there a lot better than I did in the city. So instead of um, getting a bigger place in New York, I took a house at the end of a dead-end road in Woodstock, built myself a dark room, and figured I would, I would be up in Woodstock three days a week and in New York four days a week or and so on and so forth. But slowly that changed around and, and I had less and less interest in being in New York City and just began to live full-time in Woodstock. Now um, tell us about uh, who, you had the band, you had uh, Happy and Artie Trom, two great musicians, Bob Dylan living in Woodstock, but there was, there was a handful of other uh, artists and musicians there. Can you share some of those people you got to be friends with in Woodstock? Boy, that's a surprise question. Did Van Morrison? <laughs> did Van Morrison live in Woodstock for a while? Well, okay, yeah. Um, after I did the band work, he he lived in Woodstock for a short time. He moved up there, I um, and lived in a house on top of a mountain there, and it was the same house that Garth and Richard from the band had lived in for a while. And um, I guess he was recording Moondance there. Um, and I got a call from Warner Brothers asking me to go up and photograph him. Um, so I met him, and we became friendly. It didn't spend that much extra time together, but whenever we were taking pictures or looking at pictures or whatever we did, um, we had a really, really nice, warm relationship. Um, so I would go over there just to hang out a little bit every so often. I don't remember too much of it now. Did you um, ever bump into a guy, a, my, a fellow I consider my personal Jesus, he's a... a a uh, guy by the name of John Martin, a great folk and jazz singer from... Uh, John from Martin what? John Martin. He's lived in Woodstock for a while, got to be buddies with Levon Helm, but just kind of a personal question. I love John Martin. Just wondering if you ever bumped him. him. By sight, I may know him, but by name, I don't recall. So, we've got Elliot Landy, the uh, one of the premier rock and roll photographers of our time, on the line from his home in Woodstock. We've had a couple of minutes left and there's i've got a thousand questions for you but what was it like when you were photographing the band at big pink were you uh when they were actually making that music was it magic well they were magic um because i didn't really hear the music too much i mean they actually played what are now known as the basin tapes for me a bit um because they were making them downstairs they had made them downstairs already um 
And uh, so, um, but it wasn't about the music for me with them. It was really a personal connection that we all had. I felt very much at home and comfortable with them, and I was very impressed with who they were. They were very wise people. I had known a number of musicians already because of the work I've been doing, and and to me they were very special. They were very grounded. They were they were, had gone through a lot in life, and they were very nice. Mm-hmm. They were very concerned about being polite to people and not insulting people and so on. And I was very impressed with how considerate they were. Uh, they were just as as as, as um, um, appreciative. They were just as, as respectful towards the person in the deli was making a sandwich for them uh, as they were towards a you know a record label executive, and I really found them. There was kind of a, a there was a, a chemistry that really worked for us, and I I also stayed out of the way whenever I photographed. And they said to me, "Come on up, even when you're not photographing, you know, you just come up and stay here if you want." This is Rick and Levon's house, and. Uh, um, I just felt really comfortable with them. Whenever I photograph, I stay out of the way. I make sure not to. I don't tell people what to do. And if I miss a picture, so be it. I don't ask them to do it again. You know. So, so they pretty much can ignore me. I, I wasn't like a weight on their being when I was there. We've got Elliot Landy on the other line. We're going to have him on for one more set. More with Elliot after these messages on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Moe's Tax Service, family-owned and operated since 1971, providing a full spectrum of tax preparation and associated services. Think about it. Why would you take your most important financial information to a franchise operation with a cheap basic package that goes up dramatically once you're in the door? You can find out all you need to know about Moe's by visiting www.moestax.com. That's M-O-H-S tax.com. Or call them at 612-721-2026. Don't be a blockhead. Go to the professionals at Moe's Tax Service. Hi, this is Ken Hagland, host of Living Healthy and Aging Well, inviting you to listen to our new show airing on Saturdays from noon to one, where we talk about your health and your life and provide insights to living and aging well. Each week, we provide answers to important questions regarding health care, elder care, end-of-life care, and caregiver support to help you and your loved ones plan for the future and enjoy your highest quality of life today. Please join us every Saturday from noon to one for Living Healthy and Aging Well. The number one source of the Twin Cities gay scene is all digital. Follow Twin Cities Gay Scene on Facebook and Twitter. Sign up for the Scene Shot email blast for weekly updates and chances to win great prizes. No app is needed to view the bi-weekly web editions of Scene. It's GLBTQ Media for the mobile generation. Find it all at TwinCitiesGayScene.com. That's TwinCitiesGayScene.com. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. This is Chad, owner of AM950. Our station has worked with Barbara from WYSIWYG Web Design for years on everything from logo to print design and especially for developing our website. She does great work and is great to work with listening to what our goals and design ideas were while offering new, innovative ideas to create the website we are proud of today. Barbara made sure she understood our station, our goals, and our mission before she started working on our site and made suggestions to help control the cost. Plus, she's friendly, which set us at ease. I recommend Barbara at WYSIWYG Web Design because I know she will deliver an attractive, professional website within the budget you have. She is a local independent business that specializes in helping other local businesses achieve their website and design goals. She can work with nearly any budget and create anything from simple sites to robust custom functionality. To find out more about the company AM950 Trust, go to WYSIWYGWebDesign.com. Spelled out just like it sounds, WYSIWYGWebDesign.com. You're back with the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. On the other line, 
from his home in Woodstock, New York, the great rock and roll photographer, Elliot Landy. Elliot, at the end of the last set, you were telling uh, us about how polite the band was, which is really, as a lifelong band fan, it makes me feel so good, and that uh, how they really, you know, considered you almost, I guess, in a way, kind of a member of the band in terms of uh, your access to hanging out with them. Yeah, they, they they said to me at some point, they said, look, we're not going to let anybody else photograph us, just you, um, because we don't want to be bothered. They didn't say this, but it, the idea was that dealing with press and publicity is a real, it's a hassle. You have to make appointments and strange people come up and they act strangely towards you and they don't, and they like my style of photographing. So in a sense, they, they not in a sense, but they obviously considered me a member of the group, I don't know, the band, but a member of the of the uh, people around them, the game they were working with, yeah. So, but you know, you said to you, you said to your people, the the, uh, the great rock and roll photographer. I've never a great rock and roll photographer. I guess some of the pictures I've done of music are considered great rock and roll photographs. But I was always a photographer of people mm-hmm. and, and 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 or or things that I wanted to share. Actually, my inspiration for f- photography was sharing something that's beautiful and uh, that's uh, um, and when I was with the band if I hadn't have liked them I wouldn't have done it I couldn't have done it my 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 uh my photography strings are very tightly tuned to my heart strings. Mm-hmm. And if I don't like something, I don't take a picture of it. Um, and I just felt so positive about these guys and so positive about the music they were doing as well as the culture that we were all representing at the time, the alternative culture, um, that I was that I photographed. Uh, that, that's why my pictures come out so good, I feel, because I'm really connected to the essence of something. And what when that when, when I got tired of it, after a while, uh, I had done the concert performance pictures, and I dealt with the you know the nice guys in the band and so on, and and um, I don't know, and basically I got tired of being part of that world. It was really the the business aspects of it that really pushed me away because everything was a struggle. Not with the band necessarily. I mean, not with the band, but with the Capitol Records and so on and other and other magazines and this and that. It was the business aspect. Had I been really clever, I would have I would have gotten an agent to do all this stuff, but that didn't actually happen for me. Um, so I was pushed away by it, and I don't know if I was pushed away. The business aspect was part of it, but also what was happening was that my 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 art, and I use that word as a verb, really, rather than a noun. My art was getting was getting diluted and polluted, and I remember um, taking two incidents. Once I'm I'm taking a photograph. And as I'm taking the photograph, I'm thinking of what the art director wants me to do, what he wants. And this was very destructive to me because my work is always involved with responding to the moment and being able to change and do whatever I feel like doing. And that's a great feeling to be able to be connected to yourself and to act on it. That was actually the goal of the 60s was let's all connect to our inner beings and and do what our inner beings really want to do. Let's be happy in life. Um, and the, the second incident was when I was uh, also taking a picture. And as I was taking it, I was thinking about how I was going to sell it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the commercial aspect came in on top of like an umbrella on top of what I was doing also. Well, ba- baby <laughs> needs new shoes, right? Well, it was a turnoff to me. Yeah. I said, oh, it made me stop liking photography. Okay. Because, because I lost the connection to essence, let's call it. Um, so I, I really um, just stopped doing the music stuff. I didn't want to go to concerts, and I didn't want to get involved with record companies and get jobs and so on. And I, I took up my – it took a while. I thought I was going to – I opened up what I thought was going to be, um, what was it, a photography gallery and a painting gallery because I started to paint also. And um, I didn't want to show my rock and roll pictures, though. This was in Woodstock. I opened up this gallery. I didn't want to show my rock and roll pictures um, because I was just really tired of that 
that I had done it. They, they no longer interested me. They were old stuff already. And uh, I said, well, I'll take pictures of nature. So I, I went around. I took some pictures of trees and landscapes in black and white. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I have a couple of them still existing now. Really bad. I had no, it was just something. It was an artificial thing for me. It wasn't like, oh, I'm, I, I camp all the time and I see this beautiful landscape around me. I want to capture it. It was like a, it was like an assignment in school, you know, go take pictures of nature. And that didn't work for me. Now, like from 1999 or so on, I have these gorgeous impressionist flower photographs. If you look on my website, landyvision.com, you'll see on the front page, there's, there's some of the flower pictures, really beautiful stuff. So now I can do nature well. But in those years, it was terrible. So I had opened up this gallery from my photographs. I didn't want to show the rock and roll pictures. And it's, and then I, I, I discovered, so I was showing my paintings there, and then I discovered spiritual metaphysical books. And I was reading like Edgar Casey and the Urantia book, it's called, and, and Gurdjieff and things like that. Uh, although Gurdjieff is not one of my favorites, but he was one of the ones that I, I remember. Um, and so my, my gallery became a spiritual bookstore. And I had a reading room for people because I opened the store. I was, the, the store existed so people could read the information, like the I Ching and the Tao and so <laughs> on. Um, and so I, I had a free reading room. You could just go in. There was one little room in the front. and go in and sit down and read. There were pillows on the floor. And just make yourselves at home. You know, I didn't have coffee, though. <laughs> 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 so, so, so my my photography gallery became my favorite painting gallery. Really became a spiritual metaphysical bookstore. And then at the same time, I had a child, and and my wife had a baby, and 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 my wife and baby became the main themes for my photography. That's what I wanted to photograph was to share this. This was my, this was the new beauty in my life that I was just discovering, and I wanted to share the beauty of mother and child wow. uh, the, the beauty of innocence the beauty of a, of a baby but, um, so that became my theme really my full time theme so I've always I'm not really a rock and roll photographer I did that for about 18 months in my life um, but I moved on to many different genres since then um, including I'm going to plug this because it's worth plugging um, doing a uh, an interactive music video app that I've invented I've been pursuing this kind of uh, multimedia experience since 1970 um and with a vision for doing it. And finally, I've got it in an app, and I expect it will be released in the next six to nine months or so. And in the major. Oh, go ahead. I have some major music content to go with it. It's a new way of playing music and video together that changes the nature of the experience, is, all, is what I can say about it. Film it has was invented to tell stories, and music is a feeling experience. Music affects a different part of the brain. So in order to play music and film together as I wanted to do, I had to reinvent the technology, actually. Um, so, so that's what I've done. Thanks for listening to the Wall and Power Radio Hour. This show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Brad Kniber, and recorded at the Minneapolis Movie Institute. We'd like to thank our guest, Elliot Landy, and like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy.